Uh, we are in part 11 of our First Corinthians series entitled Practical Faithfulness, and I entitled this morning's message, Faithfulness Where You Live. I want to begin with just a few thoughts. Don't want to take too much time in this intro, but I'll merely say what you already know. Discontent is high in our society. Discontent is high in our church. As a matter of fact, the more and more I get in contact with people, I find that no matter what station of life, we have a shocking ability and creative ability to complain about it. If we have children, we complain about them. If we don't have children, we complain to the Lord about that. If we are rich, we complain about the stuff and the problems of being workaholics. If we are poor, we complain about having nothing. If we are married, we complain about our marriages. If we are single, we complain about being single. It seems that no matter what station of life, no matter what circumstances surround us, discontent is high. We are all longing for something else. Sometimes it doesn't even matter what it is as long as it's different. We want a different spouse. We want a different job. We want a different house. We want a different scenario for our future, whatever it is. We discontent is high. Where is that all coming from? I'm going to dovetail on what I talked about last week was a lot of it's TV, a lot of it's radio, a lot of it's advertising. Why? We have been trained. And there's always been advertising, but there was a time when it went mass, right? When we had the radio and then it went to the TV. It became this mass concept of advertisers are always creatively trying to think of a way to make you discontent. To make you discontent is to need, they have to create a need for a product. So they are creating a discontent so that you will want their product and then hopefully feel fulfilled. Now here's what's so ironic and shocking about the whole idea is that their answer to great global peace is stuff like shampoo, right? Is really just because you have silky hair and you do this, does that really mean that we now have peace in the Middle East? No, but they would lead you to believe that if you would only have their product, if you only bought their soap, then everything would be right in the world, right? And I learned at a very early age, I remember looking at TV and going, I don't think this is really how it goes. I don't think that beer really makes you buff and better at volleyball. And you know what I'm saying? It's like all these TV ads make it look like if you only drank our product, you'd be awesome, right? And it, and it makes you more attractive. I mean, I don't think... That's true. The whole point is, is that they're trying to create discontent. It's how they move merchandise. Unfortunately, we have allowed that to soak into our souls and, and invade our psyches. And it has made us long for something different. We have also, as we've shared, been inundated by technology that you have the ability at any moment to see what the rest of the world is experiencing, at least the parts they want you to see. For example, if you go online and you Google family vacations, you reflect back on your own family vacation in Compton. It wasn't awesome. And... <laughs> You look up theirs, and every other family is at Atlantis in the Bahamas throwing money into the air, and, right? And you're like, that was not my experience, right? And then you go, my family vacation was lame, right? Everyone else seems to be having like a jet-set lifestyle. Here's the deal. Can we all understand that reality TV is not real? Okay, reality TV is, is largely scripted, and the, here's the point. From a production level, you can't capture real life because stuff happens without your boom mic over it. Therefore, what they do is they have to have things reenacted. So a lot of reality is either scripted or reenacted primarily. It's not just happening the way you think it is. It is very problematic. So my point in saying all this is that our discontent is not based on reality. It's based on perception. And there's a problem with our discontent. Our discontent, if you are a child of God, ultimately steals the worship and glory of our king. Because ultimately what we are saying is, God, you are a poor leader. You have failed in my life. And maybe, Lord, you're just powerless and you let the enemy hijack my world. God, where I'm at is not acceptable to me. Therefore, I question your leadership. There's an additional problem, and it's a fill-in-the-blank on the sheet in front of you, and it is this. 
Longing for different steals the joy of today. Longing for different steals the joy of today. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17? Just to recap for you, Paul has been talking about relational issues. We talked about divorce last week. And he continues on in addressing different various groupings in the church of Corinth. And he's trying to talk to them about the idea that their circumstances don't dictate their joy. And ultimately, God can dwell with you and bring joy into whatever circumstance you are in currently. We should not always long for different kind of why we started the way we did. Let's read through it. We are reading from 17 all the way through to the end of the chapter. So let's get started. Paul said, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, this is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you that. What I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband, as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us wander into your word. But our ability to receive any of it, Holy Spirit, comes from you. Lord, there are some of us that need encouragement there are some of us that need conviction and so we submit our lives to you we put ourselves down on the operating table and we ask that you would excise all that which is not of you build into us restore us empower us to be like you in jesus name amen all right zoom back to verse 17 let's tear this thing apart he said Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. What does that mean? Well, he uses two phrases, assigned and called. Whatever it means, it means it's not an accident. So we look at our lives and indeed we think that, man, this has been a whole series of problems that have got me here. 
challenges that I have in my life? Was I supposed to be born in America? Was I supposed to be born in this time? I feel like that's a mistake. Am I supposed to be going through some of the challenges that I'm going through? Am I, am I supposed to be having this difficult trial? We tend to think a lot of that is accidental. Now, granted, let's be honest, we see in Scripture that our choices do matter. There were times when David was righteous and it had an impact. There were days when David was sinful and it had an impact. However, David's life was orchestrated by God and ours is no different. It is not an accident that you are in the general area of where you're at. Let each person lead the life that was assigned to him, to which God has called him. So many of us in our minds say, God, if you would only put me in this area, I would do so much for you. That means that you trust that he doesn't know where you're at, or he doesn't know how to spread out his team. For many of us, and one commentary mentioned this, and I just locked hold of it because I've heard it my entire pastorate, which is when people get newly saved, they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ that they have been forgiven of their sins, that they are now bathed in grace, that they are now no longer under the condemnation of their sin, but they are now free. When they, when they experience that for the first time, they are so thankful and grateful to God that they immediately think, God, if I could only go to full-time ministry, I would live for you. Big mistake. That is not where everyone must go. Why? Because we are salt and light, and salt in a salt shaker is not nearly as powerful as salt sprinkled out into the world. Y'all, I believe personally that unless God forces you upon calling to go into full-time ministry, don't you dare. It will ruin you. Because I am insulated from the world. I am the candle in a lit room. And a candle in a lit room is not nearly as impressive or useful. But if you are out there and you are sprinkled and you say, but my impact is not significant, hold on. You are sitting in a room of over a thousand people. Doesn't God know how to sprinkle appropriately? Of course your area is not supposed to be overpowering. Your area is supposed to be your area because God isn't just using you. He's using an orchestrated event all across his body, across the kingdom of God. He knows how to separate out and have multiple impacts. And we say, but God, if you would only put me in this place, then I would truly be powerful for you. Don't you think he knows that? Don't you think that if he needed you there, he would put you there? His leadership is good. He said, this is my rule in all the churches, meaning here's some advice I set down wherever I go. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, or uncircumcision, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Now, really, why are we talking about circumcision? Is everybody here, we're largely adults here, right? Everybody know what circumcision is? You can Google it, but I'm not going to guarantee the results. <laughs> Y'all know what it is, right? The removal of foreskin, right? And some of you go, don't know, don't care, don't want to know, right? I get it. All right. However, it's a significant piece in the Bible. Why? Are we really talking about this? Yes, we are on, a, on two levels. You think I'm going to pass by it? No, no, I'm not. Because ultimately, back in Paul's day, remember you have Jewish people colliding with non-Jewish people. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. And there was a mark that God instituted through Abraham for the Jewish people of circumcision. Yet in this area of the world, by and large, more people were not circumcised. They were Gentile. Therefore, there was a discrepancy. And you say, well, who would really even know that? Right? Now, it is a shockingly secret or private marking. You would look and you'd say, God, if you're trying to herald out who your people are, you have them do a lot of funky stuff. But as a primary marking, why would you choose something so hidden? 
Well, there's a couple times in society and there's a couple periods in history where it was not as hidden as you might imagine. For example, in Paul's day in a Greco-Roman world in Greece, all gymnasiums were fully male and they were largely done nude. So it was a public display. That whenever they would do wrestling or boxing or running, they would do these things in the nude. So guys would be able to look across and go, you're Jewish. (laughs) Right? Now, it became an issue where they began to look down on them. Because remember, whoever the majority is looks down on the minority. So therefore, it became an embarrassment factor. And a lot of the Jewish men, they didn't make that decision. That decision was made largely on the eighth day of their whole, etern- of their whole life, right? So they didn't choose that. So they began to shy back, and they wanted to remove the marks of circumcision. You go, how in the world are you going to do that? It's called epispasm. It is an ancient practice carried on all the way through today. And it is a matter by which they stretch the skin and remove the appearance of it. So they're trying to recreate something that was cut away. Now, that also occurred not only in the ancient world, but it had a a resurrection during World War II. Why? The Nazi persecution. During the Nazi persecution, that was another mark that said you were Jewish to be persecuted. They would go through and try to find a way to change that appearance. Now, it's intriguing because those things, it still goes on today. There's a lot of different chapters in the world that still, in, that still encourage that. Is it only about the physical? It is not. When he says, if you are a Jew... Don't try to shake off all your Jewishness. Don't try to obliterate your history of being a Jew and try to be Gentile. That's not necessary. What you need to do is be who God called you to be. If you are Jewish, praise God you're Jewish. Man, you are a child of God in more ways than one. If you are a believing Jew, you are the fulfillment of what God desired. You got to see your Savior come. You got to know that your Savior is here. You are following through on everything that is beautiful. You don't just say, I don't want any of that history. I'm a Christian now. Forget all that stuff. No. You still are who you are. If you're a Gentile when called, you don't need to go through the Jewish rituals and all that just to get saved. There were Judaizers, the closer you get to Israel, back in the day, there was a whole crew that would go around and say, you're not saved if you don't become a Jew first. You've got to go through all the Jewish hoops, then you can go through the Christian hoops, then you'll be saved. And they would say, you need to get circumcised, you need to be this. Paul said, stop it. You guys are way out of line. You're missing it. You're trying to think that external ritual means something that it doesn't mean. Let me be very clear with you. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now you would go, well, what does that have to do with me? All the ladies are like, can we move on, please? Can we talk about something else? Here's where it matters to you, ladies. It is because of passages like this that help you understand why you're not adhering to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Have you noticed God instituted those and said, this is laid down for all my people, yet we don't do it. You're here on a Sunday. What are you doing? I thought you're supposed to be on the Sabbath. That was laid down too. Why are you not doing that? Because the old covenant was transferred into the new covenant and there were some changes. This marking that was upon all Jewish men was supposed to be for all ages. And yet here we have Paul saying, stop it. That's not the point. There was a transfer into the new covenant. Wow. Significant. He moves on, verse 20. Here's my bottom line. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Don't obsess about changing your situation. Obsess about God. Verse 21. What, were you a slave when you were called? Remember, in Paul's day, 50% of the entire Roman Empire was slave. That's a huge deal. I mean, that's millions upon millions upon millions of people. In the church, largely slave. That's kind of where it got its grassroots movement. So he's addressing slaves. Now, it wasn't like North American slavery back in the days of Abraham Lincoln kind of thing. That was part. That was in pockets. Their slavery was so widespread and for so many varying reasons, it all depended on who your master was. If you had a great master, quite frankly, no one ever would ever know you're a slave. 
they were slaves were doctors and lawyers and nurses and politicians and slaves were able to go to the highest levels and echelon of society but if you had a bad master sure enough he owned you he owned your family he owned your kids and he could crush you in a moment but understand it was varied it was all wide open the whole the whole i guess you could say paradigm from one to the other from terrible to wonderful there were a lot of slaves that even when freed wanted to remain exactly where they were there were others that couldn't wait to get free could they earn their own freedom yes they could there is studies and things on record that would show that if a slave put away a little bit of money he had to work above and beyond it would consume his whole life but he could work little bit by little bit and save up enough money and put it in a temple to a god and he could buy his freedom What, are you a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. What do you mean don't be concerned about it? I don't want someone telling me what to do. You will always have someone telling you what to do. He said, do you think that matters? That you're a slave or that you're free? Really, all free people are joyful? I don't think so. I think they have problems too. I don't think it really ultimately matters to you. I don't think it matters in life, quite frankly. Then he says this phrase, what? If you can gain your freedom, awesome. Let's do that. That'll give you more freedoms to do other things for the Lord. That's cool, but don't pretend like just because you're free, that's going to fix all your problems. I don't think that's the case. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. What's his point? No master can hold you down. No one changed your spirit. You are 100% free in Jesus Christ. And if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what man says about you. They can't stop you. They can't stop the work of God. Just because someone calls you a slave does not mean that God is not working through you, that the Holy Spirit does not indwell you, that you are not able to change the world. That will not shut you down. He said, and those of you that think you're free, oh, look at me, I'm free, I have all kinds of wonderful freedoms. He said, you know what? You're a slave of Christ. You're not, what do you mean you're free? Just like Israel got free from the bondage of Egypt to what? Become servants of Christ, right? They became servants of God. You always are owned. When do I get to do my own thing? You want to become your own thing? Then you become your own God and then self is your God and now you're getting pushed around again. There is no such thing. The question is what master are you serving? There's no freedom like that. Not for human beings in a broken world. He said, you were bought with a price. What price? The sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, gave his life that we might live. Therefore, if you're bought at a price, you don't own you. He owns you. So don't become slaves of men. What does that mean? It says do not allow the society dictate who you are. You do not allow peer pressure, societal pressures to say, that's not cool, being a Christian, that's not worth blah, 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 blah. No, that's unacceptable. You follow your Jesus. What he tells you to do, who he designed you to be, that is who you are. You do not allow the pressures of man to force you into something else. He said, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, therefore let him remain with God. Are we, con are we content? Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content. That means it's not natural to you. Where are you at in terms of a desire to grow in the Lord? Are you, are you desiring to be free? Are you doing anything about trying to allow what Jesus said to be true in your life? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we know none of that. We know nothing but heaviness, nothing but rules. We know nothing but drama and self-damage. Why have we made heavy what Jesus made light? Why did he set us free if we were only to put ourselves back into prison? It doesn't make sense. Verse 25. Now, concerning the virgins. The what? Right here, it says betrothed. We're reading out of the ESV. It says betrothed. Why? Because ultimately, you're going to find out in verse 36, there is a huge problem with interpretation of the Greek. They don't know what we're referring to could be one of two things major things or it could be another option and we're going to talk about it in verse 36 for right now understand that the phrase is virgins it means an unmarried woman due to special circumstances that's all you need to know all right now concerning those ladies 
I have no command from the Lord. God didn't tell anybody. Jesus didn't write it down. We don't have a lockdown. This is how it needs to go. So therefore, I give my judgment, Paul said, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He said, I'm a solid guy for the Lord. Holy Spirit has called me, empowered me. I'm going to tell you what I think. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. What's the present distress? No one knows. There are two major guesses that are backed up by history. One is persecution. Two is famine. Due to the present distress, whatever it was, something was either ramping up or something had already hit. We know by history that within a 10-year span, a significant famine struck the area, and within 10 years, Nero is at its height. Y'all remember what Nero did to the Christians? He's the guy that threw them to the wild beasts and poured wax over them and lit them on fire and all that. All that was about to erupt. Paul was tracking and saying, listen, what's going on in society is getting so nasty that I need you to realize this is not time to going, how do I elevate my status in society? How do I move around and make my life easier? Right now we need to lock in and get focused. I believe that he would have given different, and indeed in other books, he gives different advice. In Galatians, he actually has a totally different view of marriage in light of a different scenario. But he says in light of the present situation, present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. What are you, bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. What do you mean bound to a wife? Is that where the ball and chain thing came from, right? What do you mean bound to a wife? What are you saying? Oh, man, I got my wife with me, right? And she's hanging on. All he's saying is very simply saying, are you married? Are you married? Are you under contract with someone else? Indeed, that's what you signed. You signed a contract that said, I am willing to put you first before myself. I've signed on a dotted line to say that my life is now not my life. My life is now able to fully focus and make sure that you are thriving and empowered. That's actually what you signed when you signed a marriage certificate. If he said, are you bound to a wife? Fine, don't seek to be free. Do not obsess about, man, I wish this wasn't the case. Man, I wish I was single. I wish I was single. I wish I was single. Stop. We're not doing that. He said, what, are you free from a wife? Or are you legitimately divorced? Meaning something went down between you and God somehow authorized that divorce? Then don't seek a wife. Don't seek to get remarried. This is not going to help you. It's not a circumstance change thing. If you do marry, fine. You have not sinned. That's cool. That's allowable. But if a, a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I want to spare you that. Paul is so practical. He just said, listen, the, the phrase worldly troubles means to be pressed down and shoved together. Isn't that realistic? Is that not what marriage is? What did the video say? Uh, Dr. Paul Tripp, right? He's coming in. He's doing this marriage conference. He said, marriage is a flawed person getting together with a flawed person in a broken world. That's what marriage is. What did you expect? It is the idea that you are now putting two human beings into close contact and forcing them to interact on a consistent basis. What, you think that's not going to cause agitation? Of course it is. Man, you try to put your kids in the same room, they can't even handle it, right? How are we supposed to live in the same house and not expect that it's going to create some challenges for us? Of course it is. It's how it's designed. You're going to have worldly troubles. I don't want that for you. I'd rather you have less troubles, he said, rather than more. This is what I mean, brothers, verse 29. The appointed time has grown very short. What a point in time? Like the end of the world? A point in time? Or does he mean like an opportunity of kingdom impact? Does he mean like an opportunity of ministry and that's coming to a close? What does he mean? We don't know. Does it matter? Well, in his mind, there was a reason. Whether it was a distress, we don't know. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, after this conversation, let those who have wives live as though they had none bunch of guys are like, dude, I've been doing that for like 20 years and she doesn't like that at all, right? Okay, that's not the point. That's not what the Bible's saying. What he's saying is this. We allow our marital struggles and the situation in our homes to dominate our lives. We literally spend all of our waking hours agitated. When are we going to fix that? When are we going to work on that? 
Are we just going to complain about it for the rest of our life? Are we really going to allow that to dominate? If we are living for Jesus Christ, should we not be able to find a way through that, to repair that, to work with that, that we might be able to say, Lord, I can see you now? Or is that going to blind us to everything? Is that going to completely consume us and dominate us? We ought to live as if that was not the biggest thing in our lives. Is it important? Absolutely. Should we work on it? Absolutely. Is it valuable? Yes. But is it our ultimate being? No, it is not. When are we going to move on from that? He said, let those who what? Mourn, act as though they were not mourning. What does that mean? There are some of us that live and our whole identity is victim, right? Man, I've had grief in my life. I've had frustration in my life. And that is everything about me and all it does is dominate me. You know what? I can't handle anything. Oh, woe is me. And every conversation is woe is me. Every relationship is deteriorated by woe is me. There is no joy coursing through our life whatsoever. And you say, Lance, you don't understand. This is what I lost. I don't need to understand. What I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ set you free, died for you, and you can't even see any of that joy because of the loss that you've had in this world. Something's not right. We have to find a way to move through it. We have to find a way to move on. But Lance, it's every day. It's, listen, let me tell you about challenges, right? And I'll be extremely honest with you. Last service, I had a panic attack right while I was preaching. And I could barely get through. You guys, I got through it by saying, just make it five more minutes, make it five more minutes, make it five more minutes. I was ready to shut down the entire service because my body was about to collapse. I know what it's like to wrestle day in and day out. That is not going to define me. That is not going to, what, hold me down that now I'm a victim and that's all I can talk about and that's all I can be? No, I have a joy in my life that there are times when I do have a break. Praise God for that. But there's times when I have hardship. That's life. But we cannot allow our pains to dominate our mindset. That's not right. Jesus did too much for us to give it up. He says... He says this, he said, he said, let those who rejoice act as though they're not rejoicing. What does that mean? Well, there's some folks, right, where life is just cake. They never take anything serious. Whatever, man, I'm all about the wave runners and, and I bought the cabin in Tahoe and I got the boat and I got this. And, I, and there is absolutely no focus on ministry or Christ. It's just, I'm just going to do everything I want to do. Has pleasure dominated you to where your head's not in the game? Is that the problem? He said, let those who buy as though they had no goods. What does that mean? Is stuff and materialism and wealth and workaholism, is that grabbing you? To where you have no joy in your life because you can't keep up with the lifestyle that you're trying to make. Is that dominating you? Well, that's not right. He said, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Oh, now I'm about to step on your toes, right? I was going to take the day off, decided not to, right? So... I'm about to step on a lot of your toes, and here's why. We are, what he just said was, let us act with those that are dealing with the world situations, act as if it was not so. The way I'm going to apply this to you is that we're walking into a political season, and every time we do this, I'm embarrassed by the church. Why? Because we are absolutely way out of control. And here's what I mean. There are some of us in this room that our day's joy is dictated by the AM dial. Depending on what, le what leader you're listening to, they're going to get you all fired up. You're going to be on blogs all day long, and all you can read about is how the world's going to hell, and all the leadership is horrible, and everything's a problem. And you literally live with a weight about 10 million pounds on your chest because, oh my gosh, look who's going to get in office, and look what's going to happen. And, and all I do is watch this guy on TV, and this guy on TV, and this guy on the radio. And you're allowing the political system of our day to crush out that which Jesus bought. That is unacceptable. It is not allowed for a child of God. Should we get fired up? Yeah. You want to do something? Great. Go do something. Fix it. Find a way. Get out and vote. Do all the things you need to do. That's awesome. But do not let it steal your joy. We allow it to get way beyond. We allow it to absolutely force us into frustration every day. That is not what God intended. Rein it back in. Bring it back in. Are you, are you supposed to be happy about how everything's going? No, you're not. That's why revolution needs to happen in a lot of different areas. I get it. 
But that does not mean that Jesus loses his worship and glory because you can't get your head out of the game. There's a problem there. Amen? All right, we move on. For the present form of this world is passing away. That's why we don't worry about it ultimately. The political system is not in the hands of the people. It's in the hands of God. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He dictates where we go. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He gets it. And you know what? He is all about bringing about a revolution of his return. And he is going to ultimately melt this place down. He's going to remake it. Does that mean we shouldn't be responsible citizens? No, it does not. We have a responsibility. However, our Jesus is in charge. Let me do a a side note, a bit of a tangent here, just to kind of just talk a little bit with you. Uh, How far is too far in radical for God? Right? I mean, we look at this and we always, if any of you follow me on Twitter, I have these different tweets that I fire out. And I was just reflecting the other day on every time I go into the Christian bookstore, I get depressed. And here's why. I basically look at all the titles and feel like an absolute loser. Because you walk up and it's like radical, revolution, I'm all in for Jesus. What's your problem, dude, right? And it's like all these titles on every book. And I'm like, everyone loves Jesus more than me. Everyone's more into Christ. Everyone's more into ministry. And it's so funny because it's coming from a guy who my entire life is dedicated to Christ. My whole job is ministry. All I do is ministry 24 hours a day. And I feel like an absolute loser, Right? I'm like, clearly I don't love Jesus, right? Because everybody's all in but me. Okay, here's the ironic thing about it, is I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of authors, and guess what? They're not like that in real life. They're not like that at all, right? They actually have a job. They actually have family. They actually have friends. And they talk like relatively normal people. So what's going on? Why do we look at these books and we go, oh my gosh, you know, I need to sell everything, go out in the street corner and just scream all day long, Right? (laughs) Because what they're trying to do in their book is to encapsulate a passion. They're trying to talk about a concept to say, we need to move this direction more. We need to infuse this into our lives. We need to allow it to swell up within our hearts, and it must result in transformation. That's what they're trying to do. What they're not trying to do is say, everybody has to be a psycho all the time. That is not what they're trying to do. They don't live like that at all. They're far more balanced than that. And you go, well, isn't there a time when you can just go all in? Maybe radical is the way we need to go. Maybe we just need to be all radical. All right, what I'm about to tell you next, I need all of us to put on our adult pants and handle what I'm about to say, because I don't want bad emails from you, all right? Here we go. I am not recommending this to you. I am telling you what I experienced, all right? The other night, I rented the movie Machine Gun Preacher. Machine Gun Preacher is not a Christian movie. Pastor Lance did not tell you to go rent Machine Gun Preacher, all right? I don't want to get that email. Oh, I can't believe you watched that movie, right? All right. Here's the scenario. Here's the situation. The situation is, is that this is a true life story. It is a gentleman who was, uh, and remember, this is a secular movie, but what he did is he ended up, he was a very rough guy, hardcore heroin addict. He ended up getting saved, and they show that process of him getting saved, and then he's going to church, and it's not really radical enough, so he starts his own church, and by default becomes the pastor of that church and the preacher. He goes on a mission trip to northern Uganda and southern Sudan. This is all real. He's a guy that's still over there. And when he went over there, what he saw was children being murdered. You have to understand that this movie is so heavy and so brutal, especially the first half. The stuff that's in there will absolutely offend you. It's designed to offend you. You will see things that are just horrid and shocking. And what he saw was children being gunned down. He saw children being burned. He saw horrible things. And then he comes back to church, and everyone's just kind of talking about stuff. Hey, we might need to do something about that. He was sick and tired of people just talking. So he goes over there and says, I'm going to build an orphanage. So he starts doing something for these kids. Well, then the enemy, led by Coney's Rebellion, which is a guy that's over there, He ends up sending the guys in, and they're trying to shoot the kids and blow up the whole orphanage and do all this stuff. Well, he's had enough. He straps on a machine gun and goes to war. 
and he just starts killing bad guys. Now, this guy seriously does this stuff. He ends up going a little over the edge, rocket-propelled grenades, tearing apart the enemy, going, you will not touch my children. Now, what's intriguing about the movie is that it's so beautifully realistic that it's confusing because ultimately you see what happens when someone goes all in, right? When they go all in, he's trying to save the kids over there and his marriage is falling apart back here. He's being a a father to those kids and not a father to his own daughter back here. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? That's not what the Bible says. Then you have him protecting these children and fighting against the rebels, literally shooting a sniper, taking out people, and comes to find out that the enemy is children as well. That the other team is using children's soldiers, and he's killing these children to protect these children. And you begin to see the absolute confusion of trying to unravel a situation like that. Now I ask you, how far is too far? How radical is too radical? We read these passages and we're like, well, God just wants us to go all in and hardcore. And at some point, the devil gets a hold of us and starts taking away everything that is good. If he can't get you to shut down, he'll get you to go overboard. Because he's got to get you outside the will of God somehow, some way. Am I condemning what this man does? I'm not saying one thing about what this man does. That's between him and God. I will tell you that in some ways you look at him and you go, at least he's doing something. And in another way you go, is that the right way? I understand the confusion. But what I'm telling you is when we read these passages, we say, God, what do you want? And ultimately that's the question we need to keep asking. God, where do you want me to be? Is all our apathetic, lethargic, eh, the church thing, that's cool, whatever. Is that honoring to God any more than this guy shooting and killing people? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. We have to have our head in the game, and we have to be focused on what Jesus desires. He said this, verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried, that means divorced or widowed, or the virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Let's stop right there. Is that true? Here's my problem with this passage. I wish it was like that. It's not. Here's why. First of all, the single folks I know, all they do is complain about being single. They're not wholly devoted to the Lord. They're not fired up for Jesus. They're not interested in only doing the Lord's work. Most of the single people I know spend all their day wishing it was different. How do I know that? I was one of those. When I was single, that was what I, I'm, I'm, I've already told you. I'm embarrassed about how I acted. I, could, I was in ministry, and I couldn't get in 100%. I was always looking at, who am I going to marry? I know what that's like. I understand the pull. But it's almost like Paul was trying to make it so simple and saying, unmarried folks, they're, folks, they're totally into the Lord. No, they're not. I wish they were. The ladies, all the single ladies I know, are they all acting like this? So I'm totally into Jesus and I'm cool with that. No, there's a percentage that are, majority are not. It's always why, who am I going to marry and who's this guy and what about that guy and oh, woe is me and my whole life would all be better if I was only married and that's actually what I experience. I don't think this is necessarily true, but I do know that his talk about marriage is true. Because what he said was, when you get married, you do sign up for a list of responsibilities. Those are worldly responsibilities. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means you signed up for extra work. So sure enough, you get into this marriage thing, and he said, you should be divided on pleasing your wife, pleasing your husband. Unfortunately, many of us don't see that as a calling at all. We think that it's a problem. Right? We don't see that we signed up to try to make someone else's day. We don't believe that we signed up to make someone else's life be empowered and thriving in Christ. We look at it and go, man, why are you still here? Why are you irritating me? Give me back the remote. What is the problem, right? That's how we're acting. Is that right? No. It's not right. But Paul was being practical. He's going, man, listen, if you even got a shot of getting your head in the game in this present crisis, and once again, there was a specific situation. If you have any chance at all and you're single, you know what? You need to lock into that. Feel good about that. 
You get married, that's fine. That's fine. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you, practically, you're signing up for more responsibility. He said, I say this for your own benefit, verse 35. He's like, you guys, I don't get extra brownie points if I crush you from getting married. It's not like God goes, yeah, got another one, right? He's like, I don't get anything for that. I'm trying to help you out. I'm not here to lay any restraint upon you. That word means put a noose around your neck. I'm not trying to cause you more problems. I'm here to promote good order, which means I'm putting you back in balance, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And then it gets complicated. Verse 36 is where it all hinges. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his virgin, what does that mean? What do you mean towards his, what do you got, a collection? Like, right? <laughs> On my mantle, I got a whole bunch of them all over the place, right? And I just took this one off, hey. Nobody knows what the word means because the Greek is completely messed up. It means stuff all over the place. It talks about it kind of like this, kind of like this. I mean, so extreme that this is actually what the verse will sound like. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his virgin, if his passions are strong, wait. Or it could mean if anyone's improperly behaving towards his virgin and she's past her age, wait, what? How did she's past her age and his passions are strong? How is that the same sentence? In Greek, it is. You can go either direction. And you go, well, those are totally different things. I know. That's why it's confusing. In one sense, it's saying that it's a father for an arranged marriage who's saying he's acting improperly towards his daughter in allowing her to get married. He's saying, I would rather have you devoted to the Lord. I don't think this is a time for you to get married. That's one scenario. The other scenario is they're an engaged couple, and for whatever reason, they put off marriage, and now, due to the present crisis, they've been saying, I don't think this is the right time to get married, but now she's getting to an age where he needs to make a decision. Either they're going to get married, or he needs to back off and let her go, because if she wants to go get married, she needs to have the freedom to do that. Both are allowed in the Greek. And you look and you go, so obviously the ESV went the engaged couple route. They translated it betrothed. They translated it his passions are strong. And it has to be let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, fully convinced that it's the right choice, being under no necessity, not doing it because of pressures, having his desire under control, being clear-headed, having determined this in his heart, resolved not wishy-washy, to keep her as she is, unmarried, he will do well that honors God. So then he who marries his virgin does well. He who refrains from marriage does even better. Does it ultimately matter? No. What the point is, is that if you have within your power the future choice of someone who desires to be married, make a good, healthy, wise choice. That's all it means. But then it closes with a few bombs. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Right? A wife's bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if she pushes him off the bridge, <laughs> right? <laughs> Honey, look over there. <laughs> right? That's not what I'm encouraging. What, what's the point of it? The point of it is we know marriage is for life. Right? We're all clear on that. We've already talked about that. We had this whole long divorce discussion. But what's intriguing is the second half of the verse. What is it? But if he dies, she's free to marry, NIV says, anyone she wishes. Why is that important? Because it blows out of the water the soulmate concept. The soulmate concept is not only unhealthy, it's unbiblical. There's this idea that there's this one magical person that God has designed for you, and you've got to go make sure that you hold out for him, hold out for him, figure it out. Is that the right person? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Is this what God wants? I don't know. And this huge paranoia concept. I've got to find the one person because I'm a half of a heart, and they're a half of a heart, and then when we get together, they complete each other, right? It's garbage. It's not biblical. It's not right. Right here, what he says, he goes, you want to marry somebody? Cool. Pick one. I don't care. There's only one rule. You're a believer, they're a believer, period. That's it. That's your rule. Why don't you put some wisdom into it? You can marry anybody. There's a million folks out there that love the Lord or are believers. I don't know. You've got to put some wisdom behind it. Are you making good decisions? Do you know what you're doing? What is going on with you? What's going on with them? That's why we do premarital counseling. 
because we're trying to keep our eyes wide open. It is not about the magical, got to find the person. God does not have that magical one person. It's right here in Scripture. Be wise. Make good choices. And guess what? Ultimately, you're broken, they're broken. It's a lot of work. That's what, what did you expect? No human being will fulfill you. Only Jesus will fulfill you. And then he closes this. He said, in my judgment, and Paul's an unmarried guy, he's, she's happier circumstantially if she remains as she is, unmarried. And you know what? I think that I too have the spirit of God. That's called sarcasm. <laughs> Clearly there were other leaders that were trying to tell everyone that they had to be married. And he's like, excuse me, I think I have the spirit of God too, and I disagree with you. Right? What do we do with all this? Ultimately, we go back to my original point. Your circumstances will not solve all your problems to change them. Married, unmarried, male, female, slave, free, whatever it is, you are not ultimately going to solve all your problems by changing your circumstance. Why? Because you're going to take you with you. You're the problem. It's not your circumstances. You are still going to be you whether you're rich. You are still going to be you whether you're poor. So until we start fixing us and submitting that to the Lord, our situation actually doesn't matter whatsoever. Our circumstances do not dictate our joy. Let's close in prayer, and I'll give you the final challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me this morning and allowing us to continue on in teaching. And, Lord, that we'd be able to walk in your word together. I praise you for the work that you're doing within all of us and that which is for our sanctification. We want you to allow in there. Lord, that which is not, would you cast out? I pray, Lord, that you would allow all my friends and family here to begin to learn the secret to being content. That, Lord, that we would not always long for different, but we would thank you, Jesus, for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing challenge is this. Write a letter of thankfulness to the Lord this week for where he has you in life. Keep a list of specific blessings in the moment right here, right now, each day this week. On the, in the lobby, on the outside, we have some copies left of the book, 1,000 Gifts. We bought them from a bookstore just so you didn't have to go there. We're selling them out there for 10 bucks. Uh, trying to make it as cheap as possible. If, if that is something that you want, that is a lady writing about how she was able to develop an attitude of thanksgiving every day. It's a beautiful book. It's a bestseller. If that's something that you want to do, it's out there for you. Other than that, we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful day.